Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, my guest and co-host today is comedian, actress, writer, and producer Eliza Schlesinger. Eliza and I talk about how childbirth isn't at all like it's portrayed on TV, early crushes, how she met her husband and why she married him, appreciating honest advice, work ethic, and a lot more. Today's caller is Jessica, whose BFF since high school refers to Jessica's husband as their community husband, and to the three of them as a thruple. But as Eliza and I find out, that's just the tip of the iceberg. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you have a question and would like to talk with us, we would love to hear from you. Just look for the link in our show notes. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. This is so fun. I'm such a fan. I think you're just amazing. Oh, thank you. Will you tell us about childbirth? Sure. Sure. <laughs> what part do you want to know? I mean, you have two kids, right? I have one that I gave birth to and two stepchildren. So you've given birth, so you know. Before I had the baby, my big exercise, and I talk about this in my book, was about sort of putting blinders on. Because well-meaning people will tell you horrific things. And you're just like, you don't know till you go. And one friend of mine was like, I had the best birth. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to decide to do that. And you can't help if something bad happens. But I was like, I'm just going to give into this. I had a very long birth because we induced. And I don't know if you had a Foley balloon. No, I don't know what that is. It is the most medieval, like it's evidence that we really don't consider women and their pain when it comes to childbirth and all obstetrics should only be furthered by women and not men because... My manager had one and I remember her telling me about this and she was like, it was the worst pain ever. And I remember thinking, okay, I just don't want that. Lo and behold, I get in and they're like, look, we started the Pitocin. We've induced you, but you have to be at like eight centimeters to like start to give birth and you got to get you there. And right now you're only at one. So we're going to insert a Foley balloon, which is basically just a balloon that they put in your cervix and it like expands your cervix. Oh, I would rather give birth again than have that. And they gave me fentanyl and I was like, great, this is going to be a party. And they put it in. And even through the fentanyl, I was like, get this out of me right now before I sue everyone. It was in me for literally five seconds. Some women hold it in for hours. And then I was just on fentanyl and then I cried. Oh. <laughs> But for 15 seconds, I felt incredible. They're like, it's going to take longer. I'm like, great, we'll take the scenic route. We'll take Mulholland. <laughs> and we'll just give birth 24 hours later. <gasps> did you have an epidural? Oh my God, yes. Yeah. Did you? I did. My baby was premature. So it was a whole, like mentally I wasn't there anyway. Right. I gave birth at 31 weeks. And Cedars was experiencing this crazy baby boom. I think on average, they deliver between 10 to 12 babies a day or something. Yeah. And they were up to like 36 or wow. something. So there were women in the hallway giving birth. So I got a hookup. <laughs> yeah, you got a room. I got a room. It was a surgery room. 
They told me that there's going to be a bunch of people that are going to come in because they need to check out this baby. Yeah. It's coming too early. Yeah. But I didn't get my epidural for at least six hours because the, the anesthesiologist was like running all over. And I naively thought, I asked my doctor, I was like, well, because the baby's smaller, my labor probably won't be that bad. And she was like, that's what you think? Yeah. She's going <laughs> to fall right out, right? Okay. <laughs> So I was experiencing very, very intense contractions, I guess, like we all do. I have an older brother. I've always been kind of proud of my pain threshold. Yeah, that's a woman thing. Yeah, yeah. But when I was in labor, in those brief moments in between contractions, thinking two things. One, I have no idea how actors scream and yell and moan during birth because I can't make a sound. My whole body is just concentrating on surviving right, this right. pain. Mm-hmm. And two, I thought to myself, you cannot forget this. This is a pain that people forget. And then they do it again. Yeah. You're like, I got to write this down like memento, like <laughs> tattoo it on my body. <gasps> so my only advice to anybody would just be like, start hollering for that epidural early on. I mean, I didn't have a choice. They were like, let's get you in the bed. I'm like, I just want to walk around this room and like be in the space. And, you know, I'm a stand up. I like to walk around and stand. Got me in the bed, started it. And I was just like, obviously, you don't feel anything. And it's like, oh, that's cool. Because I had a catheter. Like, I'm just peeing. And I even realized that this is luxury. That is peak luxury. Urinating into a bag and you don't feel it. You don't have to get up. I watched some Netflix. We watched The Office. I conned them into giving me a couple more snacks. I was like, just give me the applesauce. I promise I won't choke on my own vomit. Just give it to me. And then we were just sitting there taking forever. And then at some point she came in, she was like, you're at eight centimeters. And I perked right up. I was like, let's do this. And 45 minutes later, we pushed for 45 minutes and out she came. And I was just like, this is what I came for. I was so pumped. That is awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. You can have an epidural, but like you still feel that pressure. And I too was like negotiating with it because like I work out and when you're going through a difficult workout, you can always stop. And this is like the only time where I'm like, you can't set this down. Like you have to get through. And so I was like, okay, you never have to come back here if you don't want to. But of course, here I am eight months later, I'm like, 10 out of 10 would do again. (laughs) You know, I read somewhere that the invention of forceps dramatically decreased women's death rates during childbirth because it used to be like the number one killer and it would kill like something crazy, like 30% of women. Yeah. Have you been watching House of the Dragon? I watched all of Game of Thrones dutifully. That was years ago. And I got to be honest, no intended spoiler alert. In the first four minutes, some guy gets his dick cut off. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm good. Like, I think I'm... And I don't want to see the birth scene. If you haven't had a baby, you don't want to see a woman giving birth. And if you have, you're like, I'm good. I lived it. I don't need this biopic. And so I'm good. I mean, their world there has a lot of different conveniences. You know, they probably have tweezers to pluck their brows or whatever. Forceps would have been handy. I mean, they had the dragons. I don't know. I think what you will always find as a common theme is the lack of attention given toward women's comfort, particularly when it comes to having children or civil rights or bodily autonomy. It's like the last thing people consider is how this might affect a woman. I mean, down to the types of bras we have, shapewear, everything is just like, what's uncomfortable? Let's do that to her and let's not listen to them. Eliza, if you went to your high school reunion, how do you think people would have remembered you? 
Oh, well, that's a tough question because we all have social media. So like, I'm still not really in touch with tons of high school people, but like of the four, like they see me on Netflix. Like, I think they remember me as the funny kid. And lo and behold, that's what I did. Because all of my friends went on to be like, business people, doctors, public sector, social services, stuff like that. But I don't know. I actually find it funny. I'm 39. I'm like, high school used to feel so recently. And now it feels like another lifetime. Totally. Given a pandemic and having a kid, that feeling of like, there's some people you always want to connect with. Someone was like, oh, so-and-so from our grade is in the town you're visiting. And I was like, okay, like zero desire. Like at 39, if we're not still in touch, who cares? It's cool. But yeah, probably that. How old were you when you first fell in love? Okay, it's funny you say that. So in my book, All Things Aside, which I am heavily promoting, I talk about it twice. There's like love like you're in middle school and there's a boy that you're like, I need this. Now, your brain is not fully developed and that's why young people do dumb things. I remember his name was Jake and I invited him to go rollerblading once and I don't think we ever did that. There's got to be a word, a Japanese word for that feeling of lusting after a boy you know you're not hot enough to get (laughs) or cool enough. (laughs) And then in my book, I talk about this boy that I really liked at camp and how we had like a plan to meet up during the school year, even though we lived in separate states. And like our big plan was to like get married and then I guess return home and go back to high school. Wow. Never happened. It's just all the things that you fantasize about. Because you don't have access to a car, money, or like a room for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) I would have these intense crushes from as far back as I could remember, like having no idea who they were, you know, like yes. any essence of who it just hot. That's exactly right. Even as an adult in L.A., like as a comedian, there are people that you see almost every night of your life, more than your family. There was one comic who I was like deeply attracted to, but like didn't really know him. And I talk about this in the book, like loved him in a way that you can only love someone whose favorite color city they're from and middle name you don't know. Yeah. You know, but you're like positive you would wreck it all for this person. And you wouldn't. Once you go out with them, you're like, oh, is that a tattoo of a sun and a moon? No, I'm good. (laughs) Well, let's talk about heartbreak. It's so funny. These things are not as visceral as they once were. And I wonder if that's on the other side of having a child or having been married. That it's just like, if your heart is broken, like one day, it just won't be. I remember in high school, my boyfriend was like a year older than me. And he went off to college, which of course, one should do. And I was still in high school. And just that feeling of like, of course, he's going to go and live his life and just feeling so sad. And I could not listen to Weezer's Buddy Holly for like, Three years. (laughs) And then one day it came on and you're like, this is a fun song. I think that was like the biggest of heartbreaks. I haven't really had a ton of that. I think mine are more long-term emotional things that you ache for, but it's never like the boy where you're screaming and you rip my heart out. I mean, I had one guy who was a liar and I wrote a movie about it that was on Netflix called Good on Paper. And I think that broke my heart. I think that broke my spirit for a minute. That's just a betrayal. So I have a list I don't really talk about it so much anymore of like men in professions one should not marry. Oh, I'd love this. Let's do it. Okay. So a musician, unless they're classical. Yeah. And even then I'm wary of a first chair violinist. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause he's gonna have a real big ego. <laughs> totally. Then the next one is magician, athlete, professional athlete, chef. Oh no. I'm married to a chef. I know. This is why I bring it up. Why? What What makes you say that? I'm not offended. I genuinely want to know. This list is based on zero dating experience from <laughs> my end. I've truly been on like two dates with like two unemployed people. And 
Uh, otherwise, I'm just married. <laughs> but simply because of Gordon Ramsay. Oh, my God. That's so funny. You know, and I know that you talk about this. So I wanted to hear your thoughts. Because I think the stereotype for me, just from television viewing, is it's an environment that seems to cultivate and reward people with tempers. The job seems incredibly stressful and hot. They probably come home at like 4 a.m. sort of smelling. And they never want to cook for you, even though it feels like that would be a benefit. Tell me how wrong I am. No, no. I'm listening to your list. And basically what you're saying is don't marry a narcissist. Because all of these <laughs> careers are entry points for that. Nobody should marry a stand-up comic, a male stand-up comic. Let me put it that way. And don't DM me like, well, what about so-and-so? Yes, some are normal. But by and large, for the most part, those are crazy people with mega egos. And the less they succeed, the worse it gets. And I know that having, you know, been around so many of them, actors, whenever an actor is normal, you're like, what happened here? <laughs> I think you're talking about celebrity chefs. And I've met plenty of those. And, you know, you're on a different wavelength and to have a brand and to constantly, I mean, we're all a little self-centered because we are performers. And in a way, a chef is that. My husband is, you know, he's a cookbook author and he actually has a cookbook coming out. Oh, what's it called? It's called the Don't Panic Pantry Cookbook with Knopf. And it is his recipes. It is a beautiful book. It's actually available for pre-order. Oh, good. I'm going to do that. Please do. It's based off a cooking show that he and I started in the pandemic. And then these are all his beautiful, easy, like healthful recipes. Anyway, he does cook for me. But I don't think you're wrong in that some chefs that I know, they like just cook eggs. Like they're so tired at the end of the day. My list, I guess why I don't talk about it as much anymore is because now it's become kind of embarrassing to me. <laughs> I think these are your feelings and I think that that's okay. And magician, it's funny because magicians always have girlfriends. Like there's always like a hot girl, like that's my baby. <laughs> like that's what I bet everything on. I love being tricked. I love being tricked. Oh my God, that's so funny. I don't even want to know his secrets. <laughs> what was the other thing you said? <laughs> musician, magician, professional athlete, because I imagine that like an actor, essentially, but maybe even more intense, the idea of the personal generosity that you have to give, like, yeah. it's going to be okay, honey. Like, I know you tore that thing. Or like, I know that new rookie is good, but you're better. You're better than him. You are. You're strong. Some women are very good at that. Like some people in some roles are there to support so that person can do everything. And I guess that's okay. I would have trouble dating another performer just because I know the insanity that goes into it. In my case, my husband does all the cooking in the house and I don't cook and it's not like a feminist thing. It's just like he loves doing it and I don't care. Like if you leave me alone, I will eat baby carrots and a bag of deli turkey. <laughs> like I just come upon food. I will come into your house and be like, do you have any snacks I can have? I don't think about it. And like last night I was doing my book event at the Grove and they give you if you write a book and you do an event at the Grove, you can have anything free from the Starbucks and the Barnes and Noble. And so I'm in the back room and they're like, did you want anything from the cafe? And I got a cookie and I'm eating the cookie. And my husband, because we were supposed to have a date night after, he just quietly goes, don't eat too much. You're going to ruin your dinner. Because <laughs> he doesn't want me to say I'm too full and then we can't go to dinner. Anyways, we didn't go to dinner. You didn't go to dinner? No, oh I, was too tired. I was too tired. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I don't know if you felt vulnerable with the publication of your first book. Like, that's how I felt. Yeah. I felt just a lot of uncertainty. But how do you feel now with, like, second book? What are the emotions? Well, the first book was more of, like, a thesis, and I was kind of explaining why girls are the way they are with personal stories. But look, like a magician, you don't give anyone anything you don't want them to see. 
if it is something I don't want to share, I don't. And part of that skill comes from being a comic, like you have to phrase things a certain way. But I do think a certain amount of vulnerability is required to not only be likable, but to get your point across. If I just give fake examples to make my case, that doesn't help people relate. But if you're like, hey, I had this miscarriage and here's the way I see it. And I'm not embarrassed to share that. I think it all comes from not being embarrassed about your own story and knowing that you have a lot more in common with other people, particularly other women than society wants you to think. So I offer it up humbly to be like, this is what I think. If you don't like it, hey, at least I have the guts to say it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I envy and admire that. Thank you. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be? Denmark, Copenhagen. What? I just think it's European enough that the pace of life is a little bit more romantic, a little slower. It's not so European that it's like eight hours at a cafe and you're just like banging your head against a wall. I think it's walkable and charming and it seems like their quality of life is something that they take seriously versus everything comes processed in a bag and nothing is walkable or livable. And I like Scandi culture somewhere over there for a year just to see if the thing I've been dreaming about is as good as I want it to be. Plus, you can get everywhere from there. Yeah. And it's close to Sweden, which I enjoy. It's nice to go somewhere where they think you're one of them. And then you're like, just kidding, I'm Jewish. Aha. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I think it'd be cool. It seems like a nice place. Do you have a favorite movie that you could watch over and over? Uh, Am I supposed to say House Bunny? Yeah. Am I supposed to say scary movie? Uh Uh-huh. One, two, three, four. Can I just tell you one thing about that? Because scary movie, you know, I remember when those came out. I hope you take this as a compliment because a lot of times women aren't given the funny lines. And of course your lines were funny, but like when they wrote it, it was about it being funny and everyone else. And just as a woman in comedy, I remember watching that and thinking like, wow, like you did those lines. They did not do you. Thank you. That is an amazing compliment. Yeah. That's the most succinct way, I think, to describe how I was feeling. I've been wanting to tell that to you. I've been like wanting to do your podcast forever. I always want to give compliments, particularly when it comes to another woman being funny. You, it was just like this voice that you would do and you took it so seriously Like the comedic choice was to take the line so seriously for a ridiculous person. Totally. And you nailed it. That is really sweet. The backstory behind that, it was my first movie. I had never done comedy before. I was never described as a funny person at all. So I remember feeling like I was going to get fired. I remember feeling like I just don't have a lot to do. But the most embarrassing, revealing part is that... I remember before having seen the movie, and of course I like read the script and it was really funny and ridiculous, but I remember shooting these scenes when the killer's chasing me around the house and getting really kind of freaked out. Like I was kind of worked up. And I remember telling my friends and family, so I just finished this movie and I think it's going to be funny, but I think it's also kind of scary too. It was a little scary. (laughs) Well, I think that that attitude was naive and ridiculous. But like, all I knew to do was to be sincere. It comes across. (laughs) I'm not trying to like age you here. Like that movie came out. We shot it in 1999 and it came out in 2000. I didn't know anything. My agent called and said like, this movie is having a huge opening weekend. 
I didn't know what that meant. I remember I was in high school. And even then, because like I was funny and I was in an improv and I, of course, you watch things and with no sense of competition or anything. I remember thinking this was not written for her to kill it. And that girl did. Like it was about the Wayans brothers being funny and all that stuff. And you, oh, buddy, like (gasps) you nailed it. And then I have to tell you, because I recently rewatched it, even though it's like not PC, Just Friends is so fucking funny and it is so emblematic of the types of movies being made at the time. And Ryan Reynolds is so fucking funny. And you as the crazy actress, you know why it was you were so good? Because you didn't take the route that I think a lot of girls who I don't know if you were offered it, but would have auditioned with it, like would have played it so over the top. Like you had like simmering crazy. And she's another person that like took herself very seriously and you really wanted to hate her, but like kind of felt bad for her. Anyways, those are your choices. I loved playing that role so much. So fun. And oh my God, I did really want to expand it beyond just, I don't love using the term bitchy anymore. Mm -mm. She wasn't that. She was just a crazy person. Yeah. Who took herself very seriously. (laughs) The original ending for that movie, my character had an arc. We filmed this scene where I'm playing piano and singing really well. And it's like everybody's kind of happy. Everything's okay, yeah. Which was kind of a weird notion anyway, but that was part of the original script. And then that was cut, and we filmed the scene where I show up at his house with cookies. Yeah. He tases me. Yes. (laughs) Ooh, the big speech. And I have to credit our director with really putting this perverse twist on this character, and it was just a blast. I remember being, like, giddy during the making of that. It was so fun. Forgiveness. (laughs) The worst song ever. (laughs) Anyways, I just had to bring that up. I really loved that compliment. Thank you. You're welcome. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you collect anything? It's not so much collect. I can show it to you. My fans make and give me gifts and artwork based on my act. So like all of those drawings, all of those stuffed animals, all the socks with my dog's faces on it. That's love. All that art. I can't quite tell if they're like stuffed animals. It's mostly paintings of my dog, the one who passed away and the current dog. And they'll take bits, whether it's a party goblin or a she dragon, and they'll just make their own art. When somebody gives me something that they spent time on, I'll keep it. I'll hang it. I'll keep it all in the office. My husband is not this. He's from Los Angeles, like super minimalist. But like being from Texas, there is this like Midwest housewife lurking in me. And what I want is more pumpkins (laughs) around the fall. And what I have are a couple velvet ones that are like maybe a little tacky, but like I love it. 
what I want, if I could, is just like frame pictures of squirrels having tea and pumpkins and bears having like cute things. And I want to live in a cottage and have Christmas lights up all year. That's what I want. This is an awesome dream. Yeah. In Copenhagen. Yeah. In Copenhagen. And I'll make the word is hug, which I think it's a Danish word for the art of like living well and being cozy. Do you know about this term? No, I love it. It's H-Y-G-G-E and it is not a pretty word and there's books on it. And a big part of it is like lighting candles, reading a book, having a sweet, not too many sweets, being cozy because it's so dark and cold there. And it's a Scandi thing, but it is a Danish thing, I believe. As an American, we're such consumers. So I'm walking around Denmark and I'm like, I'm looking for Hugo. Like I'm looking for like the Hugo shop. Like, where can I get this? And we find this coffee shop that looked like a treehouse. And I had like a little tea and it was raining outside. Oh. And that is Hugo. But being a pure American, the whole time I'm thinking like, how can I find more? And it's like, no, you're in it now. Like, how do I make it? It's like, it's happening. Like your life is happening. You're cozy. You're a pregnant lady who's cozy drinking tea and having a cookie, like a little bear. So how did you meet your husband? It's a tale as old as time. We met on a dating app. And I mean, you get this, you're much more famous than I am, but like, you can't just date like your Uber driver. Like you have an image to protect, right? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Some days more than others. We all do. <laughs> I was always just famous enough that I could not date just like a random person that felt unsafe, but I didn't have access to like George Clooney's like best friend's yacht. So finally, I never did online dating. This app called Raya came around, which was like, kind of for artists slash celebrities. And it wasn't about meeting someone famous as much as it was about meeting someone who got it, just understood art at a certain level and fame and just felt a little safer. Went on a couple dates, a couple of people. And then Noah was a chef and he had opened a couple restaurants here and he got on probably because they always need men. Plenty of available single women that are attractive, but it's hard to find some good guys. And we went out once and that was it. Four years later. Where'd you guys go? So we were going to go out and I said, hey, there's this documentary I want to see. And he immediately was like, I'll get tickets, which was so cute. Is this in L.A.? This is in L.A. Okay. The documentary was called Tickled, which was about competitive tickling, but takes a very dark, homoerotic, weird turn toward the end. So that's what we saw on our first date. <laughs> and what I remember the most was that he talked during the whole movie and I wasn't annoyed. I thought it was cute. Wow. Like it felt like he was so excited. And we got out of the date and I said to him, I booked a stand-up gig for tonight, like a 15-minute set somewhere, because if the date sucked, like I didn't want to waste a Saturday night. And so I said, do you want to come? Because if this works out, you're going to have to see the act at some point. And he said yes. And he came. And when we got there, somebody gave me a drink ticket. I don't drink when I do stand-up. And I handed it to him. And I said, if you want to get yourself a drink. And he said, I'll wait for you. Which sounds like I'm crying, but I'm actually, I think I have like a cranberry stuck in my throat. And then we just went out and got plastered. And we just kept going out. Do you remember seeing him in the audience? Like, where was he? This was a random gig that my friend was running at Hotel Cafe. No, he was in the back. He's not a kind of guy. He's always like, I'll sit in the back. I had a great set and I'm not ashamed of, I'm like, look, this is who I am. I've been in a relationship with stand-up comedy longer than anything. And he came over, we got super drunk. He spent the night. I was like, I'm not going to have sex with you because I don't even know you. And then next day he was like, do you want to get dinner tonight? Like it was just, that was it. And we've just been eating dinner together ever since. Wow. And how did the whole proposal marriage thing go down? Look, we got married at 36, 37, something like that. We have conversations about it. I'm not 22 and my like AAA baseball player fiance is like surprising me with a wedding. Like we went and looked. There was a conversation. 
And so I had looked at rings. So it was just like, when's it going to happen? We came home from dinner one night and I walked upstairs. My house had like the everything upstairs and there were flowers and like candles. His mom and my assistant had like helped him get everything so that when we walked in, it was all set up. And I had my pants unzipped because the last thing I said before he asked me, was, I have to pee real quick. <laughs> so my pants are unzipped. And he just got down on his knee and he asked, and it was just so him. It was intimate yes. and simple. Yeah. It wasn't like a gender reveal where we poison a whole village and set something on fire. Like him, everything else is just quiet and elegant. Don't you think that it's a weird tradition or whatever it is to make the proposal a surprise? You know, I think it's something that we haven't examined and it's funny because my podcast, which I was just recording before I came here, it's called Ask Eliza Anything. We let people write in questions, which I know is part of this podcast as well. And this girl was talking about my boyfriend. I could tell he was going to ask me to marry him, but I'm not ready. So I looked at him and I said, if you're going to propose, don't do it now. And I was like, that's because you need to have these discussions. It shouldn't be a guy deciding like, you know what? I'm ready. So of course you're ready. Hopefully you've had the discussions. And it's cute if it's a surprise, but this idea that like when the man feels he's ready to make you his wife, you should just be ready, like vagina open, ready to go. So I think there is something a little archaic about it. So I think once you've had a discussion, like the surprise is cute, but I could do without it. Yeah, I think you're right, though, because I was surprised. This time around? No, not this. First time around. First time. First time around, my ex and I, we were living together and we were so young. We were like 24 in L.A. Yeah. Hadn't really talked about anything but like auditions or parties or clubs. Yeah, of course. We're living together. To me, he was like too handsome for me. <laughs> but we were shopping on Melrose with a friend and we pop into like an antique jewelry store and we're kind of glancing at some rings. But he picked out one. He was like, hey, do you like this one? And I was like, I don't know. And he said, I'm going to buy this one. Will you marry me? I was like, no. Like, I was so shocked. Like, my best friend is right there. And I was like, this feels thoughtless. Okay. Okay. I didn't care for the spontaneity. I didn't view it as romantic. I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, we have been fighting so much. He was unfaithful. Oh, no. He was... So mad at me for like two months, he was hurt. He was like licking his wounds. Like, you know, you embarrass me. Like, what? You don't want to. You embarrass and... me. Ew. I know. You embarrass me and you're going to be like, great. You know what? I will marry you. Sorry, I embarrassed you. So then maybe five months later, we go out to the Mondrian uh -huh. and have dinner. And then he's like, I got us a room upstairs. And I was like, you did? So we go upstairs. It's filled with roses and balloons or whatever. I'm like, oh boy. Because at the time too, I was making Schedule F, which is like the union minimal requirement mm -hmm. essentially for movie making. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in the relationship, it felt like because of our lease. I think that's common, personal. I think that happens, especially in LA. So I said yes, but I remember feeling, memory distorts itself. I do understand that, but I don't remember feeling elated. I do remember feeling a lot of pressure, and I do very much remember not wanting to call my parents and tell them. Right, right, yeah. Which should have been a really significant thing. So then I just plowed ahead, <laughs> and we got married at Beverly Hills Courthouse. I remember the judge muttering, like, I don't think this is going to last. <laughs> and it's true. And then, yeah, we made it like two and a half years. And when I finally made the decision, it hit me, I guess, like a brick. But I also recognize that most 
significant decisions that we make in our lives have been kind of kicking around somewhere and we haven't really been able to embrace the idea. Sure. So yeah, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I need to get out of this. I'm so sad. So then I went through a divorce journey. But if I could tell my son one thing, it would be to not get married before the age of 30. I don't disagree with that. I know that that upsets like a lot of women. It's always that thing where when women who are older than you give advice, it's a natural thing as a young woman to be like, well, that's because you're old and there's something wrong with you. Like wear sunscreen, like not me. I'm gonna look like this forever. We do think, I even think that now, like you'll be young forever. This only happens to other people. That's her, not me. And sometimes you're right, but you just change so much in a relationship or not in your 20s or 30s. It's like you're a different person the objective is always to be able to grow in a meaningful way and to help each other. And I don't know that like your amygdala is even like fully formed <laughs> in your 20s. I just, it's like, look, is it harder to do some things as you get older? Sure. But I can't help when I got married, but I like it because I was so solid in who I was. And I kind of always have been, but we're two whole people coming together. We're not making each other whole. We're just making each other better. There's just a maturity there. I mean, you can get married younger and it can be fine, but you also deserve the chance to explore life and date people and have sex and like figure out who you are. And that's something that we don't like in society. We don't like it when women explore options or have a sense of self or an education or a goal. And you want to find someone that likes all those things about you. What personality traits do you attribute to your parents? My mom is very like, all right, let's not get hysterical. Like any emotional sort of new age California side of me. She's just like, all right, like there's a meme I saw the other day that was like someone said they were having a bad day and crying and their parents response was sit outside and have a banana. My mother is sit outside and have a banana. That's really good. My mom's always like, wash your face. She always reminds me to put cream on my elbows. Wash your face. Her solution to everything is once you take a shower, blow out your hair. She always wants my hair to look nice and start fresh. It's never go have a drink. It's never go out. It's like, go home, take a shower, get in bed and just die. <laughs> it's always to get cozy, write it down. Like it's always about getting centered. And I hear her voice in my head. I mean, she's alive, but like, she's always like, let's get centered. You're not centered. And sometimes I'm like, I am centered as the rest of the world. That's wrong. So approaching things from a very practical, I'm from Texas, but my parents were Jewish and my parents are from New York. There's a toughness and an adroitness and a directness for East Coast people. And I like that because it's not done with any malintent. Like, yeah, no, over there. Like, it's not about your feelings because you have to understand that not everyone's out to hurt you. But being from Texas, you know, everything's a big smile. Bless your heart. And I remember I had a friend, very Texas, and she tried on a dress. And my mom was visiting. She came downstairs in this dress. And she goes, what do you think? And my mom says, that dress doesn't fit you, which is a little abrupt, but... The comment wasn't, you're fat. You could put on a dress that's too big or just that dress. And she was right. It didn't fit her. I appreciate efficiency. Yeah, through no fault of her own. It's just like not a whatever. The girl's response was, my mother got me this dress. And it's like, be that as it may, you asked us for the opinion and we're giving you the honest opinion, which most people won't give. She attached emotion to it. Right. And it's like, well, if you already like it, don't ask. When emotion gets attached, especially in that kind of circumstance... It's illogical, just like you said. Yes. It's like, this isn't tracking. Yeah. So the New Yorker is like, you asked my advice, I'm giving it to you. And she's saying like, well, you're not wrapping it the way I want it. I did Jimmy Kimmel last night and I came home and we have a baby nurse who lives with us. And she's Jamaican, very buttoned up, woman of few words. And I kind of 
like really need her opinion. Like I'll come out and be like, what do you think, Myrna? I feel this. Yeah. And it's this very like matriarchal Jamaican woman. And she'll be like, looks good. And you're like, yes, I fucking nailed it. Myrna said, yes, it looks good. You did. You looked amazing. But last night I came home and she saw me at the end of the night and she goes, this is what you wore. Oh no. And I was like, yes, Myrna, we already taped it. She was like, not my favorite. And I'm like, okay, well it already happened. So I'll just go burn this now. But there's this trust of like knowing someone isn't coming from a mean place. And I think a lot of times with women, we don't necessarily have that trust because sometimes it isn't coming from the highest light. It is like, I am jealous of you. Like, oh, is that how you're wearing your hair? Because I'm jealous. In one of your stand-up specials, you talk about this, and I can't remember exactly. The story was about your engagement, I think, and Mm -hmm. like wedding planning and stuff and how the language that women use, the coded stuff, I don't understand either. And it really throws me for a loop. And now that my kid's in school, I have a lot of moms and they all speak in code. I have no idea what is going on. Right. Oh, God. Yesterday, this woman said to me, and I really like her. I really like all of them, but they don't all like each other. Right. And I'm not involved. Yeah. I think that my minor celebrity is the only thing that is getting me off the hook at this point because I am not the one who shows up with snacks. Yeah. Well, you work. You're working. Everybody has their job and being a mom is the hardest job and you do that, but you work and that's not the path you carve. <laughs> but she said, oh, you need to beware of that other mom. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? What's like, she going to do to me? But I know. But I don't know why we do this to ourselves. It's hard. Mm. I think there's being blunt, there's being direct, there's being rude. And I think people confuse these ideas. I'm always a little offended when someone will be like, I just love your comedy. You have no filter. And I'm like, no, no, they mean well. So I'm always like, thanks. I choose my words very carefully. No filter. You are coming off like a maniac who doesn't understand repercussions or people's feelings. It's a descriptive that only a non-performer would use. And it's a descriptive that we tend to give to women Uh along with words like opinionated. It makes it sound like you're drunk and you're just like, I'm just saying she's a bitch. So it sort of has this idea that like she just can't control herself. She's just a loose, drunk woman. I don't like those things. I don't like the white wine, the vodka, this idea that she had a drink. Now she's going to tell you like it is. I'm like, I will tell you like it is in a compelling way without the alcohol, because deep down, I know that we can get along. And that philosophy comes through in your stand-up. Oh, thank you. You have a particular respect for your audience, and that's why they love you. That and your brilliance, the whole thing. I think that you have a different language, a different rapport with your audience. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Because I've never done stand-up. I don't really know the world of it. I do know that fascinating people are involved in stand-up. They're mysterious with the drive, but that's another issue. But yeah, Eliza, will you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, this is a hard job. I actually think acting is a lot harder. Like I've literally booked two things in my whole life. Like I give you and you guys all the credit, but without making it about that, it's a really hard job and it's a difficult career. And the more you do it, the more success you have, the more complex it gets. And I think a lot of comedians and I think a lot of performers forget You are nothing without your fans. If they don't buy tickets to your movies because of you, if they don't listen to your podcast, if they don't buy tickets to your show, if they don't buy your merch, your albums, you are nothing. Some people are so shot out of a cannon famous, like they don't have to interact and do anything. And I appreciate that. But stand-up comedy is 100% merit-based. Even if I don't like your comedy, if it sells tickets, something is working and it works for some people. And that's why 
it's this complex thing. Some people like some standups and whatever. It's totally subjective. And so I don't feel I owe them more than I owe them. But you're absolutely right. There is a respect and there is a love. When someone says to you, I've followed your career since your first TV appearance. I watched your first album. I saw you in these four cities. I flew to see you. Somebody is saying, I gave you the most valuable thing I can give, which is my time. And I took my time and my money. And I can't say that I patronize a lot of artists. Like I don't go to concerts, probably because I'm working. But somebody took the time to be invested enough in what you were saying. I'm not curing cancer. I am making jokes. It is a selfish thing. Acting is selfish. These are arts that we need to be expressed. You know, you're not doing it for the all good of art. Like this is a selfish endeavor. And the fact that people take time and money to watch me do something I love is something that has never been lost on me. And I think that's because it's such a hard fought career. Like it was not always six Netflix specials and a sold out arena. It still sometimes isn't. I remember when those rooms had to be papered. I remember doing multiple gigs a night and it was always elevating. What does that mean? The rooms had to be papered. Like when you first start, I remember I played, it's not there anymore, the Cleveland Improv. And I had just started. I don't think I had one last comic standing. I don't remember, but I walk in and it was like 350 like elderly black people. And I remember thinking, you know, I was like this 24 year old white girl. And I was like, wow, somebody saw me somewhere and my comedy really resonates. It's like, no hooker. They gave these tickets away. <laughs> these people just came for the show. Uh, I was like, oh my God, my new community. Papering a room is basically they just give out tickets on the radio to whomever. But it's not about, you know, you. And at this point, people are there for you. Nobody stumbles upon it. But it's just never lost on me that these things take time. And it's about respecting your audience. I show up. I don't drink. I would not have like a mimosa at lunch that day. Like there is no alcohol on a show day. I show up. I start on time. If the show starts late, talent was set. It's because the audience was late. Like I am there. I am there to do my full set, not to dick around for 20 minutes and take questions. Like I am there to work and do that set. And I am there for the meet and greet after. And I will give you all my time and energy. And then we are done. At the end of the day, and you're an actor, you get this, like, show up on time. People want to go home. Like, nobody has time for you to show up and, like, have issues. Like, there are people there that have lives. They want you to show up, do your job, do it well, and go home. Like, have dinner and go home. And I take it seriously. It is such an admirable quality. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Will you tell us what's going on, Jessica? So everything in a nutshell, I have a friend that I've had since middle school. 
So it's been 22 years now. And she has always kind of been just this big personality. And in the last couple of years, she's just gotten really comfortable at my house, really comfortable around my husband. And we all knew each other when we were in high school. So I think she just kind of carries this friendship forward. And my husband and I have been married for 18 years. In your letter you wrote, she used to refer to us as a thruple. Yes, that happened about three years ago. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at first it was funny. Like we laughed it off. My husband was like, okay, whatever. And he just didn't really acknowledge it to her because he didn't want to feed that joke. Sure. After like the second and third time, I think one of my kids was nearby. Right. This was three years ago. So they were a little bit younger, but... I just didn't want them to be like, what is a thruple? And then they go Google it. Sure. Here's a serious question. People are going to hate that I ask this. Is she hotter than you? Uh, Oh my gosh, that's a hard question. We look very different. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I guess she's beautiful in her way. I feel like I am in my way. I love that you feel that way. I just, I don't know what she looks like. I think there's part of that, but let's say you're totally secure and let's say all things are equal. And your husband hasn't like flirted back. Oh, no. Okay, good. He rolls his eyes and he'll walk out of the room. He's annoyed by her a little bit. Right. He's on your side. Oh, yeah. I read your question and she's gone through like some traumatic things. And you might be the only comfort Mm -hmm. that she has, which is incredibly heartbreaking and sweet. And very generous of you. There's two versions of this. Okay. You can either give it zero oxygen and every time she says it, you're just like, hey, so are you dating anyone? Like switch the topic. I know you've talked about it before. But you might have to have a come to Jesus with her and sit down and be like, I have to be honest. I love you like a sister. I think it makes Gary, your husband, (laughs) feel weird. And I don't want my kids to hear that and explain that. But I think you have to take responsibility for drawing that boundary. Damn, Eliza's efficient. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, it is uncomfortable, but you will continue to be uncomfortable in your relationship with her and in your own home. If you are not comfortable enough making her as uncomfortable, this isn't about hurting her. This is about you have to draw a line of like, how much am I willing to put up with? Yeah. You can do it in a very sweet way. Just be like, can you not do that? It makes me feel weird and like threesome me and like, this isn't sexual. If she can't hear that, then you have to look at that. It's more about as a friend, I'm asking you to do something because it means something to me. Can you hear that? Yeah. I don't like it that it sounds like she sort of plays up her fragility. Because that's exhausting for you, right? Yeah, it really is. You're not her therapist and you're not her mother. Oh, and my husband has said that. He's like, she comes over, she pours everything into you. She feels good, but now you're drained and you're exhausted and you have to like carry this. When she says it, it actually has nothing to do with you. And it has everything to do with her trying to find something comforting. So I do feel bad for her straight up. You just be like, dude, be like, it's so gross. She's like, why? Just be like, it's gross. And let her sit with that. Don't equivocate. As women, we're taught to be like, I mean, but if you could. I don't know if I have the strength to have that kind of conversation. I just ghost. I do too. (laughs) You can do that. I'm just saying like, that's your best friend. So you probably don't want to do that. You might have to if she's like, no, I need this. But you have to decide whose comfort's more important, yours or hers. It's true. And it's been hard for me because when she introduced that throuple word, after like the third time, I'm like, hey, this makes Gary super uncomfortable. I need to stop You're calling it. him Gary. <laughs> I love that you <laughs> called him Gary. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had to express that to her, but I blamed him because I didn't want her to be upset at me. That's okay. That's what husbands are for. How did she take it? 
he was just like, okay, well, I won't say it. And she was like, so put off by it. But now it's community husband. And I was like, no, that's kind of the same thing. And it sounds like that's just emblematic too of her general infiltration in your life. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how frequently you see her, but it feels like that's a very specific example of maybe a broader thing, especially since Gary is like, well, I don't know, why is she over again? How frequently do you see her a week? Well, since the pandemic, not as much. But before that, it was a lot. But she is very entwined in my family. So when I have like gatherings, and actually because of this whole podcast, I've actually opened up to some of my family members about it. And then that just opened a Pandora's box. And they're just like, oh my gosh, we really wish we could have told you this sooner. Like we just feel like she dominates every relationship in your life. And maybe she is in a place in life where she is not giving as much support at all as she's taking. Right. Like, I don't know what your day-to-day life is. There's this joke that I think Tracy Morgan had on 30 Rock where he was like, talks about how like women are always afraid of their friends. <laughs> it's true. I've had a friend like this where like you're close forever and they dominate everything. And you're like, hey, I'm not an ugly fucking loser. Like you can't dominate this. You can't. I also cringe when people are like my work husband. It's like, you don't get to like covet everything. It gives you creep vibes because you don't feel this is an even playing field. You have to just point blank tell her. And also you can start to give it less oxygen, answering less texts, including her less. And just when she says that stuff, be like, it's really weird. You have to be assertive and you have to be comfortable with that. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? She stops talking to you. So I also wanted to throw in there, like you guys know, okay, now she's entwined in my family, but it's the complete opposite for me with her family. Like I've been told for years that her family hates me. And so I don't have a relationship with them. Oh, Jesus. She tells you this? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're done with this friend. Yeah, I think so. You know, we hold on to these friendships for nostalgia and guilt. And one of the better things about life is the idea of growth. And I don't like how this woman makes you feel. That's the thing. I'm sure there are things. There's nostalgia, but I'm sure she's good at like picking out outfits or whatever. But overall, this person is making you feel anxious and you don't want to see them. Yeah. If this was a guy, I'd be like, break up with them. She's going to continue to have yes. a lot of problems. I know in your letter, you wrote that she's divorced and has mental health issues and everything. And those are problems that you can't solve and she'll continue to have them. Like I had a friend from seventh grade. I adored her so much. She was always like exciting and imaginative and beautiful. But every time we talked after we graduated, there was always something like really bad had happened. Really bad. Like this guy that she just started dating punched her in the stump. Like stuff that I didn't know how to carry her burden anymore. Yeah. Everything is dramatic. And it made me feel like I didn't know how to trust her, actually, eventually after a while. Can I make a suggestion, Jessica? Write all this in a letter and then rewrite that letter, reread it, rewrite it, rewrite it. I think getting it out might help. And then if you feel compelled to send it, you can. But at the end of the day, like you don't have the time and energy for this. You're a mother, you're a wife. Obviously, you have a job because it looks like you're in an office. (laughs) This will resolve itself. Like I have had a friend like this and I just stopped speaking to them. I will be honest. I do miss that friend. I think about her sometimes. I get sad about it, but it's not worth being anxious all the time. And this person has a serious imbalance and she's not valuing you. Thank you. And the fact that she's not listening to you speaks volumes. And that's it. The awesome news is that Gary and your family and everybody else, like, has your back. They see it. They're confirming it for you. Give her the warning. Give her the chance. But I would write this all out to get it out. People like this can't change. Yeah. This is like narcissism. So you might just have to start to give it less oxygen and move away. 
That's what I think. And I've done it. You can do it. It's going to be hard, especially since she's always been very aware. Like if I have like a family get together and then like if I post about it on social media, then she'll see it. Like, why wasn't I invited? You give her the chance. You give her the chance. You write it out and you talk to her. You can send her the email. You can talk to her be like, I need to get this off my chest as your friend. Here are the things that I feel. If she doesn't gel with it, she won't. And goodbye. And you were clear. At least you were heard. Sorry. No, no, no. I think your advice is awesome, but I don't think she'll absorb it. I think that she will be pissed, retaliatory, Mm -hmm. and posting shit on social media like, oh, Jessica used to be my friend, and now she's not, and I don't even know what happened to us. And You know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone else already thinks she's crazy, so it doesn't matter. This is not you asking, can you fix this? This is you saying, here's the way I'm feeling. Here's what I need to move forward. Yeah. And she can come along or not. Either way, you win. Either way, you were heard and you've gotten rid of her or you were heard and she gets better. But nothing bad's going to happen. Like she might act like a crazy person. Like, okay, cool. Now I never have to hang out with you again. Yeah. She sounds very needy. And you could say to her, like, that's super fucked up that your family hates me. Yeah. And you could say to her, like, do you know how much that hurts my... I have said that. And what does she say? They all have different reasons for hating me, whether it's I'm too close to her or I'm the only person that she listens to. She's lying. Totally. That's what it sounds like. They don't hate you. They don't like her. But also she's making that up. To make you feel bad. That never happened. And to be possessive over you. Yes. I think it's weird that she is all entangled. Oh, your whole family. This is weird, like sociopath behavior where she knows everyone in your life and you don't know anyone in hers. Exactly. This is what guys who lie do. And this is what like narcissists do. This is like being catfished, but in real life, that's an issue. The fact that you're not close with her family, this is abusive boyfriend behavior. Wow. I mean, I didn't think of it like that, but it makes sense. And you could say to her, call your mom. I want to hear your mom say she hates me. Fucking call her out and you will watch her crumble if you have the energy. But I would just give it no oxygen. It's going to be hard. She needs you more than you need her. Don't forget that. I think you're right. You seem like a really loving, generous person. You know, you're probably much more considerate than I am. And you feel probably the weight of the guilt with the history and everything. But I really wish I could take that from you. I don't subscribe to the idea of like keeping a relationship around for nostalgia reasons or even family reasons. But that's just me. I think if someone is manipulative for whatever reason, wants to make you feel bad, which is what happens when she tells you that her family doesn't like you, I would ask Gary, let's be proactive in distancing this person. Yeah. You got to stand up for yourself. She needs you more than you need her. She is preying upon the fact that you are a soft person with a big heart, but the buck stops here. Yeah. Okay. I always talk about like ugly girl behavior, like the hot friend. I'm not saying she's hot is always like, like you be the star of your own story. You be the hot girl because it's not about whether I shouldn't have asked that because now that I see it's deeper, I didn't realize there was more to it than just like the husband stuff. Forget the attractive thing. She is treating you like a secondary character in your own life story. You are the star. Thank you. I mean, I, like some of these things, I feel like I already knew like deep down for sure, but it's just, it's just so hard when that history, but I know like at the end of the day that this has always been very one-sided. Yeah. She's not treating you well. This isn't what friendship is. The family shit is more troubling than the thruple baloney. Yes. I think that's a symptom. This person is just looking for someone to make them feel good and she doesn't return. This is not what friendship is. This should be fun, especially like as we get older. So I went through a horrific breakup where I had dated a sociopath. I knew none of his friends. We didn't talk about this one. You can watch my movie, Good on Paper, on Netflix. It's all about that. It's a true story. But 
I remember I was like, I'm going to be selfish now. And if I don't want to do anything with any boy, I'm not going to do it. And it actually was great. And I think you can start by practically when she texts you, check in with yourself. Like, how do I feel right now? Are my shoulders stiff? Does my stomach feel like it's in knots? Is she offering to bring me a cupcake or is she asking me for something? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do this? If the answer is no, hey, sorry, can't, super busy. Start reacting based on how you're feeling versus how you want to make her feel. Yeah, that's fair. Do I want to see her? Do I feel like it? No, I'm busy. Call you later. And if she wants to call you out and be like, what's going on with you? Be like, here's what I'm feeling. Don't be embarrassed about the way you're feeling. The best thing that come out is that she changes. The worst thing that comes out is that this girl gets out of your life and you and Gary can just be a regular couple. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just going to have to rip the bandaid off. You know the answer. You know how everyone feels. Everyone is shouting this at you, including me. And I don't know you. But I feel very connected to you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard because I'm a very, very like... We're not taught how to have confrontation well. Yeah. You got this. I feel your pain. I can see that it's sad for you too. It's hard. Yeah, it's a breakup. It's a breakup, but you matter more. It's indicative that you told us that you've already talked to people. Yeah. That your husband is like, what's going on? Yeah. I mean, the catalyst for me writing in was... She had mentioned she wanted to stop by and I was standing in the kitchen and I told my husband, can you go be somewhere else? Because I don't like to hang out with her when you're here. And he's like, why? And I'm like, you know why? Because she makes inappropriate comments and she dominates. That's too much. No, you don't have time for this. I do want to reassure you, if your gut has been telling you this for a long time, this is good for you. I know. I think that's just the biggest culprit here is time. Oh, and I bet she lays it on. Like, we've been friends forever. I know everything about her. Mm -hmm. Can I just say one last thing? You will be surprised how quickly this person disappears from your life. Oh, that's interesting. And I bet you're right. I think it'll be intense for like a month, maybe even less though. But I bet you're right, Eliza. Yeah. But I do want you to take Eliza's advice and be like the star of your own show. She doesn't need to do that. Yeah. Jessica, thank you so very much. And truly, I'm thinking about you. Thank you so much. Bye, darling. Eliza, I can't thank you enough. You're the best. Thank you. And you're really good at this. (laughs) It is what it is, but I get it. It was great. It was perfect. It was so cool to finally meet you. And I finally got to say the thing that I wanted to say to you forever. So I'm a fan and thank you. I admire you so much. Thank you. I'm really, really appreciative. Thank you so much. 